Welcome to the Self Starter Show. I'm your host, Steve Clare, and on this show, you're gonna be hearing from entrepreneurs. You're gonna hear about their wins that got them where they are, their losses, and everything in between, as well as the advice that they have that helped them along the way. Along with bonus solo episodes of my personal secrets of life, success, and empathy sprinkled in for you, the listener. Like chapters of a great book, each episode will provide you with a bit of a cheat code to success and happiness. Today is a special podcast. Um, I have the one and only Ken Slevin, my father-in-law, on the show today. Ken is the CEO and president of CESD Talent Agency for 18 years. He's actually been at the company, we'll get to that, for 40 plus years. Ken is the president of the NATR for 15, was the president of the NA, what does NATR stand for? National Association of Talent Representatives. He is a Savis Leadership, did I pronounce that right? Sovis. He is a Sovis Leadership Award winner and a seven-time Tony Award voter. Seven years. Seven years. years. So seven times, seven years. It's a lot of shows. Yeah. Averaged about 35 shows a, a season. A season. And how long is the season? It started actually in August and ended right up into the Tonys, which is in early June. Jeez, that's a lot of shows. It's a lot of shows. Lot it was of... great. It was great. Now, before we dive in, let me just ask you, uh, do you have anything pithy to say? <laughs> uh, depends on the subject. Depends on the subject. Um, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll dive right into it. Uh, Ken, tell me right now, where are you with, in life with CESD? Um, tell, me what, tell me about the company and your role as CEO. Well, the company was founded in 1967 by Bill Cunningham. He opened it up in Los Angeles, and he came to New York in 1971. Um, and he brought on Angela DePini. And then T.J. Escott joined the company a few years later. So it was C.E.D., Cunningham Escott DePini, when I joined the company in 1982. I got into the business in 1978. I started uh, with the Harry Abrams agency. My first job, I was a gopher. Who got you a job uh, as a gopher? I got myself the got job. It. And back then, uh, the way I went about it is, well, let me backtrack a little bit. Um, I graduated in 1975 when New York City was on the verge of going bankrupt and it became very difficult to find a job. So I eventually found a job uh, for United Merchants and Manufacturers where I learned how to be a salesman. And uh, quoting the graduate um, when uh, his father-in-law uh, soon-to-be father-in-law told Dustin Hoffman, go into plastics. Well, I listened, and uh, subsequently I uh, learned from about 15 different salesmen up and down the East Coast, and then they promoted me and gave me my own territory, and that was in Chicago, 
and uh, he was very successful, moving a lot of goods uh, because I brought the New York hustle to the Midwest. Frankly, they didn't know what to make of me at first. Um, then they moved me to Indianapolis, Indiana, where I traveled um, Michigan, um, Indiana, and Northern Kentucky. Uh, what was life like traveling around, I guess, traveling around the Midwest? Uh, back then, you wanted to get in touch with, with home, like we were talking about before we started recording, not having, not having cell phones, not having the internet. Um, how often were you chiming back into your family and also your boss? Well, that was done by telephone, but remember back in the uh, mid to late seventies, uh, CB radios were big. So I was on my CB radio um, while like I was a, traveling. Like a, like, a, like a police officer? No, no, no. These were truckers. It started with truckers. And my handle was the Gemini man. So if I was going from Chicago down to, uh, or out to Iowa on Route 87, I would ask the truckers, how's it looking going west on I-87? And they would respond. And then what I would want to do uh, is get in the middle of a truck uh, caravan because that was the safest place to be in. Um, and I would talk all day to people. But anyhow, I digress. Um, I, uh, I then uh, realized, uh, to be honest with you, my mother said, do you want to be a traveling salesman for the rest of your life? And I said, Mom, I'm 23 years old. <laughs> I'm loving it. I have a great apartment. The Midwest women were great. The people in the Midwest, salt of the earth, salt of the earth, friendly, wonderful. Anyhow. Any issues being a Jew? Um, funny you bring that up because there was a swimming pool in the development I lived in. And I, at that time I was wearing a mezuzah and a lot of people thought it was a whistle. <laughs> So, um, but I did listen to my mom. I moved home and eventually, uh, uh I, I was trying to find myself because here I was in 1977, 78 back home. And like, I didn't have a car. I didn't have an expense account. I didn't have my own apartment. I was back in my room that I grew up in. So in Brooklyn, no, no, this is in Forest Hills. Far, right, 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 Forest Hills. So um, I started selling tax-free municipal bonds. I did okay doing that, but it it it, it left me empty. My sister-in-law Debbie uh, was working for a talent agent and thought. I would really enjoy the business. So what I did is I got a Ross reports back then it was called the Ross reports, which was the Bible of talent agencies. And I sat at my typewriter and I wrote a letter to each talent agency 
trying to get a job. And I remember during one of the Jewish holidays, uh, I was talking to my friend. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to get a job in the entertainment business at a talent agency. And he said, quote, Ken, that's a pipe dream, unquote. And I think about that comment all the time lately, but I became, uh, so one of the things I learned selling tax-free municipal bonds is the art of cold calling. So to me, cold calling talent agencies after I've written a letter was easy. There's no downside in doing it. I was fortunate enough to get an interview with Harry Abrams. This was in 1978. Um, and he hired me. And I had my, as a gopher, my first job, Steve, called me into his office and he said, Ken, I need you to go to Paragon Sports and get my tennis racket that I just had restrung. I went, oh, this is the talent agency <laughs> business? <laughs> uh, but in any event, he, he trained me uh, like no one else can train today. Uh, I then uh, became an agent. Well, first I was assisting agents. Then I uh, did the, I was a business affairs person. So how many years until you became an agent? Uh, three and a half years. Right. So now we're at about 1982 Two. and you became an agent and were you given your specific clients? Or were you, you know, just it was just the pool of the company's clients that you were now trying I, to. I, I was given the pool of the company's clients. It was my job to bring in more clients. Um, I had always had an interest in ethnic people. I found them very interesting. And I built up that part of the uh, agency roster. And I also was given some casting directors to work with. Which you then harnessed all those relationships for years, to, for years to follow. Correct. Because some of the people I started getting to know were the assistants who now for the last 20, 30 years have been casting directors. So we go way back. Got it. So now uh, what is the name of the company at this point in 1982? Well, I'm still with Harry Abrams. Got it. So uh, I decided that... And Harry Abrams' company is... It, well, now is called A3. Okay. They were recently bought um, about three years ago, three and a half years ago. Uh, but I was called by a casting director. And they said, did you want to meet Bill Cunningham? Now, at the time, the only other two agencies... I wanted to work with were, and one of them was CED. <clears throat> so I jumped at the opportunity. Now was CED appealing because of it was more of a startup or because of the type of talent that they represented? The, the type of talent they represented and their reputation. Clean. Back then it was known as the blonde agency because <clears throat> Procter and Gamble ruled <clears throat> Excuse me, and uh, peaches and cream were, was in. So, what does that mean? The look. Got it. 
wholesome, all-American. Today, girl next door. Right. Today, the exact opposite. Ethnically ambiguous is the rage. Got it. Um, so uh, I met with Bill. He offered me a job on the spot. And um, that was 1982, 1987. I brought in the first computer. And this is something I did on my own. And at this point, you're now married. Uh, yes, married. And you just had your first child. 1987, that's correct. Sam. Right. And now you're growing within the company. Right. And is it, it's still CED. Uh, it was CED until 2005. Got it. Where my partner and I, Paul Doherty and myself, bought the company from TJS Scott. Bill Cunningham retired, I believe, in 2000. Um, so <clears throat> we've owned the company since then, and we've grown the company. So within the in the 80s, when you're climbing the ladder, which most people don't do these this, these days, right? <laughs> there's not a there's no ladder climbing. It's uh you know you climb a step ladder and then move to another company. That's correct. Good way to put it. Yes. So it's when rare when companies when you're at a company where you grow the way I went up the ladder. However, at my company, I have a lot of people who started as receptionists and are now running their departments. Are they and, representing talent? Yes. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And be, I always patterned that after how I grew up in the business. Because you, you then get to know every aspect of everyone's job instead of coming in. And now I've brought in agents, you know, 20 year veterans, depending upon the need of each individual department. Got it. And while you're growing within the company, I mean, you said your first task was to go to Paragon to pick up a racket. What's something that you were asked to do a task that you questioned, is this for me? I could think of a couple buddies of mine, or one buddy of mine in particular, who was asked to do something a little morally unethical, and it pushed him out of the entertainment industry. Is there anything, or what, were you asked to do unethically? And it's, we're talking about the 80s, so like, there's been a, enough time has passed that you could talk about it. Yeah, honestly, there was nothing I had to do that made me uncomfortable. Uh, And that's the way uh, I run the company now. I don't want anyone to do anything that they're uncomfortable. Well, nowadays is a lot different than the 80s. Like nowadays, in the 80s, someone might ask you to, let's say, uh, go meet up with this drug dealer and get something for a client. Ne never but, was put in that position. Never put in that position. Nowadays, that wouldn't even be a thought, right? Like most... Almost, I would hope not. <laughs> you hope you right. You would hope not. Um, and I just feel like nowadays, and you know, we just watched. Um, uh, she said, mm -hmm. you know, we just watched. She said about the the Har the whole Harvey Weinstein yes. breaking news, which just seeing how long that went on in the nineties, the early two thousands, and nothing was reported. 
or nothing came to the surface. It was crazy that it took that long and that it, it took that long for things like that to be accepted as facts. Yeah. Again, I was, I've been very fortunate <clears throat> and that as a result, I have mentored many young people. Love that. And that I enjoy. Do you have a favorite? It's one of my favorite things. Do I you do. have a favorite? Oh, who you have mentored? <clears throat> No, come on. It's like that's like saying you don't have a favorite grandchild, which I I don't have a favorite grandchild. I don't have a favorite child. (laughs) I love them equally from in their own way. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) So you do have you have to have a favorite mentee mentor. Yeah, you do have to have a favorite mentee. And this has to be a reason, right? Someone that you like saw yourself in like this was me. Honestly, um, I don't have a favorite. There, everyone that I've uh, helped, I adore in their own way. I recently had coffee with a, a client. I, I've known her over 30 years, and I love her professionally. So, and then... There are people who call me for advice and that I've helped through the years, and I'm so happy to give them my two cents. I love that. Uh, do you think that they, when they're contacting you, they're like, oh, he's already helped me out so much, I don't want to bug him? Well, I hope not. Um, people continue to do that to this day. So, And has anyone ever stabbed you in the back? You mean someone I've mentored? Someone you've mentored. I mean, this is the, it's the entertainment industry. It is. No, no, it it has this, it it has this uh, reputation. There's a bit of a reputation of trying to, you know, climb over somebody. If we're talking about the ladder, climbing over somebody to get somewhere and, you know, not really being, not everyone is the, is the most ethical. I've been very fortunate, but I have not had that situation occur. Um, I know you're I'm, surprised. I'm, I'm very surprised, especially <clears throat> for as many years, for nobody to ever, you know, kind of just one day go to the competition. Take, oh, all, people take been- all that knowledge that you've been feeding them while you were growing them within your company. And just one day, well, but, but I'm out. I, I understand what you're saying, but in those instances, it's to be expected. For the most part, if they, I've always felt if they don't want to work at CESD, then you should leave and go on and do other things. Um, I, the amount of employees that either I've had to fire or have left that continue to come visit, well, before COVID, visit the office, they come back. They come back because I want to give back. Uh, As I have said a few times to you, I've been very fortunate. I've worked really hard, but I've been very fortunate and I want to give it back. I, I, especially to the younger people because there's so much anxiety 
with people coming out of college in their teens. Do you think social media now plays a big role in that oh, as well? No question. Long before the all the reports over the past couple of years about Instagram uh, creating anxiety, because think about it. You're 16 years old. You're going through a difficult time with something in your social life. You're home on a Saturday night and you're looking at Instagram and you're seeing all your friends happy. Everyone's happy. Everyone's having a great time. That could set you into a depression. Yeah. So, yeah, the anxiety level, and, and that's what I attack immediately when I start talking to a younger person. What are you anxious about? What, what is, what's the source of it? And there was this one young lady who was very uncomfortable interviewing. She got nervous. Huh. And I, so I started interviewing her, mock but, interviews. But if she's making her way to you, she must have interviewed somewhere else. No, she was actually still at, in college. Got it. And she was about to graduate. And so, uh, and she was at FIT and I brought her up to the office to do some mock interviews, get her used to an office environment. And she, uh, somebody stopped her in the hallway and said, oh, I introduced her. And, and she said, uh, the person asked her, what does she do? And she said, I'm a student. So after we walked into my office, I said, you're not a student, you're an artist. And you should say that. And then we got into the whole psychology of being interviewed. Because um, she was, well, do, do I, I'm not sure what I'm saying should be the right thing. Be yourself. Simple, very simple. Be yourself. Not so easy. For a lot of people, it's easy. I mean, it's easier said than done. Like, exactly. So I try to ease them into that. Amazing. Um, 44 plus years in the industry. When was a time that you thought, fuck, is this for me? What am I doing? Maybe I should pack my bags and go back to selling plastic. <laughs> well, never thought of going back to selling plastics, but um, <clears throat> the ebb and flow in the entertainment industry is, even to this day, difficult at times because yours, you're only as good as the clients you represent. So you can go on a winning streak where your clients audition and get the job and that the, as I was just saying earlier this week to one of the junior agents that's priceless to this day when I find a talent and then they book a job uh, there's a Yiddish word kvelling I kvel that is one of the nicest feelings you ever want to have and there's no money that can provide that. It's that act of when that happens. Um, so uh, the ebb and flow, you, you, as long as I've been doing it, you have to get used to it. You, you get 
like in your business? I was literally just going to say the same thing. You know, we just came out of February, which is notoriously the worst month of the year. I mean, I'm in 14 years at my job. I've had zero, zero month Februarys before. And it's just knowing that the grit, not the grass is greener, that uh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, that knowing that you need the ebbs for the flows. That's right. You need the downs for the ups. And if everything was always up, it would be bullshit. Right. That's not reality. Right. So do you, do you get used to it? Sort of, but you know what you just said. Because it's like you have these moments of self-doubt, like why my client's not booking? Have I lost my eye? Do I not know what books? Do I not? Is, is my eye gone? And then... And then you look and you're like, ah, you got a big head. <laughs> well, BHB. BHB, which means? Big Heads Book. book. Big Heads Book. Is that, a, is that an, an indicator when you are interviewing someone for the first time? It like, mentally, you're like, you got a big head. Check. Uh, yes. And uh, for the record, uh, we're not talking about ego big head we mean like physically like an actual big head yes that's correct it's one of the first things i notice i love that i mean think about it russell crowe dustin hoffman tom cruise julia roberts tom cruise has a big head Mm -hmm. yes he does someone said someone said i read a couple articles that tom cruise saved theater no, saved, saved motion pictures, motion pictures. Going back to the theater with Top Gun. Yes, that's true. You, you agree with that? Oh, totally. If you've watched Top Gun, you'll know why. I guess I need to watch. Oh, it's great. How's Miles Teller in that movie? Which role? Um, Goose? Or is Goose? Oh, uh, uh, the, the, the cast is amazing. And... Tom Cruise, you 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 have to hand it to him. He he really rescued people going back to the movie theaters. I love that. Yeah. So, Ken, tell me what does the next three to six months look like for CESD? That's a great question, and part of my answer will be we're looking at possible labor unrest. The Writers Guild of America's contract is up with the producers, um, the AMPTA, uh, AM, whatever. Uh, Who it will, uh, the, 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 I don't know what these acronyms are, yeah, so who, anyone who listening won't know. They're gonna negotiate with. Got it, who are they? Uh, they're the people who are in charge of what? Of hiring the writers, of producing. Got it. The movies, TV shows, streaming, etc. Their contract's up May 1st. Then the Directors Guild is up, um, would be next up, and then SAG-AFTRA. Do you so think unions are good? Unions are vital, vital. In, in, in our business. Got it. Vital. Vital. They set standards. Um, but so we're looking at three and SAG afters after uh, the writers, uh, the directors guild. So we're looking at three major contracts coming up 
between May 1st and the end of July. We'll see what happens. What do you think is going to happen? 40 plus years in the business. Uh, I'd say you could be a, a good uh, crystal ball <clears throat> predictor. Well, I think it's going to be a bumpy road. Uh, and we might have a, an interruption. I hope it's a short one. But the writers, the directors, and the talent <clears throat> have some very uh, real issues that need to be uh, looked at and talked about and negotiated. If you can go back, would you change? Would you change anything? In terms of going back to 1978, <clears throat> Debbie uh, was she Debbie Slevin at the time? Yes, Debbie Slevin. Tells you you need to get into entertainment business. You follow suit. And now here you are 40, 45 years later. Is there anything you would have changed? It's a good question. Um, anything I would have changed. Probably not to be as hard on myself as I can be in trying to do the right thing and and not to second guess. Um, I believe I'm a very self-aware person, so being too self-aware can sometimes be a double-edged sword. In one way, it's really good to be self-aware because when you're not self-aware, you're not sensitive to other people and you could go too far to the other side. Good thing you didn't have social media for yes. many years. Yeah. That might have uh, <laughs> set, made you you set, set you back. That would have made you probably second guess a lot. Right. So... Give me one word of advice for anyone trying to make it in New York. Follow your passion. Well, it's three words, but follow your passion. It's all about your passion. What take a good, hard look at yourself. What are you good at? And if there's something you want to do, go for it and just don't half ass it go for it 110%. And just because if you do something that you're passionate about, you're going to be very successful. There's no doubt about it. It's it's tough coming out of school or in high school what knowing what exactly you want to do. I was one of those who had no clue. Most don't. Right. Right. But they think that they should know. Well, and so in answer to the next question I uh, would expect would come, then what do you do about it? Start doing things and figure out what you like about what you're doing, what you don't like about what you're doing. 
but I love working with passionate people. The people in my company are so freaking passionate about what they do. And going back to an earlier question, if somebody isn't, that's okay. Go work somewhere else. I mean, this expression is usually spoken about with, within families, but CESD as a family with your workers from you, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I would hope so. You bring in people who you see it in their eyes. Yes. And the, uh, the entertainment business is incredibly uh, competitive. And there's many ways to be competitive. I've learned that through the years. Going through the front door is not always the best way to do it. Going around the side or finding another way in. But if you have a burning passion to be good, what's going to stop you? And before I let you go, uh, what are you reading right now? And I'm reading tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. What's it about? It's about two friends who uh, are creating video games. Hmm. Is it based on a true story? I believe it's fiction. Okay. I just uh, started it. It's it's a terrific book. I just recommended it uh, yesterday to somebody in, in my business. And what is so? What is the book? A book that you would recommend to everybody? A must read. A Bible. You know, I'm I'm not that well acquainted with self help books. Not necessarily self help. It could be fiction. Something that you. Well, if, if you haven't read The Godfather. Read. Read it. Read it. And then watch the movie. Hmm. A few times. To me, it's the best movie ever made. The Godfather. The Godfather. Love it. Followed by Godfather 2. Number one, number two. Right, so what's your third best movie ever? <laughs> well, the way I put it is... If I'm surfing, looking through what's on, what movies will I watch again? L.A. Confidential comes to mind. The Rock comes to mind. Um, uh, oh, the one with uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, Snakes the on a Plane? The Negotiator. Yeah, the Negotiator. The, the Negotiator. Yeah, some of those, those are some of the movies. Amazing. Well, thank you for giving me your time thank on this you. Friday, Thursday. No, it's we. It feels like a Friday. Feels like a Friday. It's Thursday. Thursday. Um. All right. That's all. Thank you.